Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. Another week on, and、um, I hear the great news that from twelve o'clock we are back on stage to load shedding. So let's hope that things hold out until then. I am thrilled to be here with my guest. Well, when I say here, I mean virtually here. You know what I mean.、Um, my guest today is Zoe Skultz. Hi, Zoe. It's great to have you here with me. Good morning, Dennis. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving your time. And we're going to be chatting about your book. Running in heels from ICU to ultra marathon. When life pulls you down, run far and as fast as possible. And when I first received this book, I mean, I, I had a good laugh to myself because anyone who knows me, you don't even need to know me that well, knows that I don't run. And <laughs> my my children will tell anyone who will listen. That if you see me running, you had better run too, because something is seriously wrong.、Um, I don't run at all. So this intrigued me. Zoe,、um, tell us, tell us your story. Tell us your journey and what what took you from from ICU to ultra marathon runner. The elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> elevator pitch. Yes, give us your 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 thirty second elevator pitch. So、um, can totally relate. Hated running. Terrible athlete at school.、Um, probably very. If I had to rank myself as un- pretty unfit.、Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always loved outdoors and, and camping. And my husband and I went on a camping trip in 2015 to the Kruger and、uh, came back and I felt a bit sick. And a couple of days later, I went to a doctor, and he gave me some antibiotics. They didn't really help.、Um, and then、uh, I went to another doctor, and, and she asked to go. I had to go get my blood tested. And to cut a really long story short, I was rushed, rushed into、um, the emergency room, and then、uh, that same evening, I was transferred to ICU.、Um, I was in a coma for ten days, and then the doctors, obviously, they initially said that、uh, I probably wasn't going to make it. Uh, so that was quite hard for my family.、Um, don't remember any of that time at all.、Um, and then、uh, when I sort of came around, the doctor came to visit me, and he said to me that、uh, I was probably never going to be seventy percent of what I used to be.、Uh, there was a risk of, of brain damage,、uh, which I kind of looked at him and I thought, well, no. <laughs> I felt fine in my head, which is strange, I guess. So one of the after effects of that was、uh, we had a bit of a bonny, my husband and I. So if you read the book, you'll see we had a bit of a fist.、Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite adamant I was fine and I was going back to work, and he was adamant that I was going to、uh, do some proper rehabilitation. So I checked into step down care、uh, for a week, and、uh, one of the no, no, you 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 didn't actually check into step down care because you refused to stay in step down care. <laughs> you were a day patient. Exactly that.、Uh, <laughs> But I, it was a very good intervention,、uh, and one of the things that one of the outcomes of that. So, so I guess I was 
kind of fine in my head, but my balance was quite badly affected by the illness. It affected a nerve um, in my left ear. So I was really going backwards, but going forwards was a serious problem. Uh, it was actually quite funny if you watched me. I looked really drunk and uh, struggled to get up and down the stairs. And my biokineticist, uh, I took up biokinetics after the step-down session, and she asked for me to walk uh, 30 minutes a day, which I did, which is probably a little bit less than three kilometers every day. And um, I just I followed that program, and eventually I was so bored with walking, I decided to try and run it, which was a perfectly terrible idea. I barely managed to get to the third street lamp, I thought I was going to pass out or die or something. You know that horrible feeling you get yes. at the back of in the blood? Yes, I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of hang on to that, that street lamp and thought, so what are you thinking? This is a really daft, daft idea. You can't do this. But I guess it's that always that little voice in your head that says maybe, you know, if you just keep trying, maybe you, you can. And uh, so I refused to give up and I eventually managed to run my three-kilometer route, albeit – very slowly. I think I probably can walk faster than I ran that first effort now, but I just kept on trying. And uh, the next step from there was to go, uh, I tried out a park run and um, we're from park run, it just sort of spooled from there. I think it's an amazing, amazing journey. I just want to clarify, you, what, what actually happened? You, you felt sick, you landed up in a coma and in the book, you, you give um, extracts from the physiotherapist report that said you had encephalitis. But the OT and audiologist reports that you also give extracts from said that you had meningitis. And just for those who don't know, and I know for some reason it's come up in, in um, roundtable discussions in my home because um, I, I have no idea why it's come up. Encephalitis is inflammation of the brain, and meningitis is actually inflammation of fluid and membranes surrounding the brain and spinal cord, which are both typically um, caused by infection. Correct. So, so which was it? Still don't know. And I think that's the mystery. Uh, you know, till today, no idea what even caused it. Uh, so all they could really do was to treat me for whatever it was. It seems to have been some kind of viral Infection. Yeah. They were different. Obviously, everyone's got an opinion, you know. Uh, to be honest, I really didn't worry too much about that. It's, yeah, it's, it's the end result, what, basically. What can I do about it? It's, it's happened now and I had to deal with it. Uh, so I was more worried about what happened after that. But, um, yeah, and I think that's where the concern came for the brain damage, obviously, because my, my fever was obviously very high. I had quite a, a bad uh, seizure in the hospital, nearly turned over the hospital bed, according to my husband anyway. So that, that was quite scary. I think they had to strap me down to the bed to try and stop me from injuring someone else or myself. Uh, also caused by the by the high fever, but they still don't know. I still haven't got a clear answer in terms of you know was it encephalitis, was it meningitis? I had some septicemia obviously as well from from the infection. But yeah, it was it was a scary time, and it's it's, it's, it's sure. sort of it's the fragility of life. You know, I mean, I was perfectly fine when we went camping. I felt 100%. We had a great time, you know, doing the usual game drives, etc. And then to come home and from being a, you know, going about my daily business and everything was fine to all of a sudden having this gap in your memory and you almost lose your life. It's, it's reinforces 
the bit where you need to just be live in the moment, enjoy today, even yes, with good. Yeah, a lot more mindful. But um, and that seizure, that seizure that you had. I mean, when you you were quite in, insistent when you went for that um, final checkup with your neurologist, you were quite insistent about coming off your medication, and he did he did warn you. <laughs> That um, medication was dreadful. I um, yeah, and and yeah, it caused it caused. I had quite a lot of, of side effects. Yeah, the, it was actually medication for um, to prevent a further seizure. Um, but as I said in the book as well, I mean, it was aggravating. I had these horribly shaky hands. So right. our bedroom is upstairs. So if I made coffee, I couldn't make it up the stairs with the coffee in my hands. I'd spill it everywhere. And I think it also aggravated my, my balance issues. And I think also whether you're a runner or not, I mean, I think it, it, it's really important to understand one's own body. And that's probably the first time that I actually started to listen to what my body was telling me. It's sort of a process of elimination. I was, you know, wondering, well, why is this happening? You know, when you feel okay in your head, I, I don't know how else to explain that, but in my head, I felt fine. There shouldn't have been anything wrong in my logical yes. mind. I and where were all these shakes coming from? And then you sort of start, you know, what did I just drink? What happened now? And um, through that process, I eventually concluded that I thought it was those pills. But then, as I said also in the book, my husband, I chatted to him about it. And I was a bit scared to go cold turkey just in case yeah. I landed up <laughs> not around this minute. Oh, was, my God. But, I, but I, I, had to, I had to have a little bit of a chuckle at the, these, these baselines that, that you mentioned because um, – you know, they, they, the, the neurologist said, you know, he asked you to count backwards from a hundred in multiples of seven. And, and also one of the reports mentioned limited exercise, exercise and tolerance to endurance. You know, the assumption that you could do all of these things before your illness. I, I, I mean, it does make one laugh because I, I have to compare it to, to my husband's experience with COVID actually, because, you know, the first thing they ask you, is um, can you taste and can you smell? And my hu- my husband has not had a sense of taste or smell since he was a child. <laughs> so, you know, but the assumption, the, this assumption that you can do these things and that you have these things beforehand, you know, count backwards in multiples of seven. What is that? I mean, okay, look, granted I'm an accountant, so I suppose one, one typically gets tarred with that brush that you can do math. Uh, so I do remember when I was quite wow. small, my mom and dad were always very adamant I had to get my times tables right. So it was in primary school when mom would drop me off at school. Backwards. Then, no, backwards. And that was a challenge. So I'd have to recount my times tables and she'd make sure I got it right. But it was something similar to that, to try and do that kind of math in your head. But strangely, after the, the illness, I've had this weird ability to recall numbers. So not something that I typically had before. For the illness, so I can remember, you know, long numbers a lot more accurately than I ever was able to prior to um, being sick. So I think it's also a mindset. You know, sometimes people label you, and then you believe what they tell yeah, you. True. I wasn't prepared for that. I I don't like those labels. I although I'm very good at giving them to myself, but <laughs> you know, and don't tell gonna, me. We're going to chat about that. We're going to take a break now, and we are going to to get into that. Um, in more detail after the break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. 
nothing brings you back down to earth after the holidays quite like a wallet full of receipts and slips where all the cash used to be. Well, Outsurance has an offer that will turn your post-holiday blues around. They could save you money on your car insurance every month, and if they can't, you can ask them for 500 rand cash. Claim free and with the same insurer for three years, ask for 1,500 rand. You could save or get cash in your wallet. SMS out to 40251. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. Free SMS. I'm back with my guest, Zoe Skultz, and we are chatting about her book, Running in Heels, from ICU to Ultramarathon. And um, she's talking about her journey from her illness that landed her in ICU and actually in a 10-day coma to being an ultramarathon runner from initially hating running. Um, and so before the break, we were talking about these labels that one tends to believe when other people attach them to us. And you, you mentioned the fact that, that you attach labels to yourself and you're okay with that. Um, but you were extremely hard on yourself. I mean, you, you, you came out of hospital and you were like, right, I'm okay now. I'm getting back to life. And I'm, and, and obviously, there was a recovery process, and it was a long, hard recovery process. Yeah, and you needed to deal with that. Yeah, I guess it's a. I don't know how else to explain that. You know, at some point, you kind of have to put it into bite-sized chunks. There's, if I look back, you kind of realize how long the process was. But at the time, I was in it, so it was just one step at a time, just keep moving forward. And I think for a long time, I almost refused to admit to myself that I needed to go through a recovery process. As I said, I felt like in my head I was fine. Um, but you start to realize, you know, brain brain injuries and, and brain trauma is quite large or far-reaching. So, yeah, but, but I've always been hard on myself, Janice, so so that wasn't new. That's ingrained in me from, from when I was a small child. But I, I think also myself, that was, that was um, you, you set yourself, um, you know, goals and and challenges but I think a lot of that was also ingrained in you from the way you were brought up you had parents who I wouldn't say they were they were tough on you but they they introduced you to the practicalities of life and to a strong work ethic and to be proud of what you achieve and a lot of that came from your late dad 100% well mom as well um, mom, and your mom, mom as in- well but I, I think you know you your your you mention your dad a lot um, yeah. What interested me a lot was was that they were runners, <laughs> and you were. I know that my poor dad. I think it's such a it's so sad for me that he passed away before I took up running because he was adamant. You know, his his. I think my my lack of athletic ability at school was a rather a disappointment to him. Uh, even I mean, right up until just before he he fell ill, he uh, he wasn't able to run. Uh, he had uh, bad back issues, but uh, he took up cycling instead. And he was also dil- very diligent, you know, very consistent. So yeah, definitely a massive influence from from both of my parents. And you're hundred percent correct. Uh, my dad had a big impact on my life, and was always pushing me to do better and try harder and. For him, failure was never an option, and I guess that's something that's just become part of who I am. And I, I loved uh, when you you mentioned that just before your your first matric prelim, and um, when you were taking art, 
And he was, he was really disappointed about that. Your mom was thrilled because she really believed in your, your creative um, abilities. And your dad was really disappointed and he wanted you to take accounting. And, um, and I, I really, I was reading this and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to take the art prelim and then she's going to drop it as soon as she's taken the prelim. And I couldn't believe what happened there that, that you actually did that prelim. You, you dropped it immediately and, and opted for accounting there and then. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. that wasn't was the most fun week in my life. I won't no, lie. It didn't, sound, it didn't sound like it. No, but I guess also, I mean, it's it's probably something similar to, to recovering from my illness. You know, when I was um, studying to become a, a CA as well, I had a goal and I'm a bit blinkered like that. I just go for the goal then. Whatever I have to do, you sort of slowly chip away at it. I, I think the expression is you eat the elephant one bite at a time. And that's really how I approached becoming a chartered accountant. Although I must be honest, my mom's passion and, and belief in my artistic abilities probably only come out now later in my life. That's probably also where the book comes from. It's sort yeah. of art, probably art as she perhaps envisaged it when I was at school. Not I'm not necessarily the best to draw or paint. Uh, but I can see things more creatively. And that's also helped me quite a bit in my working world. I'm not just a totally left-brained analytical accountant. So it has opened a lot of doors. And, and mom's very persistent. She won't accept no for an answer in her own way. So, <laughs> you've certainly written a very, a very readable um, book that, that makes – that makes you seem very approachable, I have to say that. You, you also mention in your book with, with this adaptability about um, that it takes 21 days to build or break a habit. Yes. So it was weird when I realized that I guess it's sort of something people do know. It's not That's not rocket science. It's sort of out there. But because of my – I think it's sort of, you know, you get this dogged approach. Well, I do. And, you know, just every day get up, that's what you do. And it just became part of something that I did. So from in the beginning where I had to think about it and, you know, where are my running shoes or my, my trainers? What am I going to wear? Because it was freezing cold that time when I started to walk. Yes, At one you, point, you chose that. It was the coldest time of year. I mean, it was like, no, this is not the time to do this. It was it was so cold, but it was actually also so beautiful. I mean, we have beautiful winters in in the high felt. So I eventually started to enjoy it, and and the, you know you almost don't want to miss a day. And it's it's been like that for me even now through lockdown. You know, you you just keep on going because it just becomes part of what you do. It's like brushing your teeth in the morning. It just becomes part of your routine, and I think that was the key differentiator because prior to my illness, whenever I had to go to gym, which I tried to force myself to do, it was this big thing. And it wasn't really part of something that I just did. It was something I consciously had to make a decision to go get in the car and go to gym. But the walking, because I think it started and it was small steps, it wasn't this big issue. It, you know, so that that definitely helped um, in building my running routine anyway. And I mean, again, I'm not going to be... As for the living at the bottom of the hill, I was like, oh my goodness. I know, that was, that's so bad. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and it's about a three kilometer hill to the top. There is no shortcut really. So it's only uphill from there. But as I say in the book at the end as well, uphills make you stronger. And, um, goes, I, and you also say, but you also say what goes up must come down. 
Yeah, those are the best parts when, when you can free will down, down something that you've, you've slogged up for a long time. But it's the same with problems in life, isn't it? I mean, no problem can last forever. So sometimes you've got to put your head down and keep going. Got to get to the other side and you've just got to go through it. Yeah. But the way you mentioned how at school you, you really disliked the exercise and the, the athleticism and you, you disliked sports. The way you relate it in the book, how I saw it was, it wasn't so much that you hated running and you hated the races and athletic day, sports day. It wasn't so much the the hatred of of actual running. It was more the fear of failure than anything else that you disliked. And it was just that you associated it with running. It's very, very perceptive of you. Yes, exactly that. And um, again, that, that probably... There's remnants of dad echoing in there uh, because I was in boarding school, so he obviously wasn't around all the time to to see that. But I, I think back at school, one gets you grow up a bit, you get a bit more mature. But I, I guess it was more me than putting that on myself. You know, if you don't come first, you haven't achieved anything. So that's also something that I perhaps appreciated a bit more now, writing the book and through my writing journey, was that sometimes. <laughs> Appreciate what you're able to do and give yourself accolades along the way for the small milestones that you achieve as opposed to becoming the next first, you know, placer of whatever sport or whatever um, activity it is you're participating in. So that's yeah, been a but, bit of a growth for me as well. Yeah. But and at the end, I think at the end of the book, you also have, um, wait, I'm just trying to find it because I know there was um, a list of, of, it was numbers. And yes. you you speak about about numbers, and it's not always about coming first. Not at all. Well, for me, it's not about that anymore. I think there are certain elements in my life. It's something I guess that's a work in progress. I, I need to work on that always. Um, I'm always going to be tough on myself, I guess. But I'm I'm learning to be tougher on myself in different arenas, if that makes sense. Hundred percent. So you know, you it, it's not. For running, for example, um, although with COVID it's kind of put a halt on, on all of the races, but, you know, in a, in a normal, and I use that word in inverted commas, normal world when one goes to the races, I mean, there's, there's hundreds, thousands of people. The chance that I'm ever going to come first is is very small. But for me, then, it's about just the fact that I, I mean, you've obviously read it, so the fact that I made it to the start line of, of a marathon or an ultra marathon, that in itself, I need to see that as an achievement. And that, that was hard at the beginning to realize that, but uh, I'm getting better at that now, I suppose. And yeah, I found that it's life in numbers where you say that the running levels, the playing field, and race, gender, politics, religion, and many other potentially contentious dynamics lose significance when one is yeah. out on the road. And I love oh, that. You don't- you know how, how many people, so I mean, on, on some of the longer races in particular, so typically on a, a marathon or an ultra marathon, um, you use your breathing to see whether your pace is correct. And to the best way to do that is if you can chat to people around you, which of course, when I started running, that was unheard of. I, I could never imagine being able to talk while I was running, yeah. but you won't imagine the most amazing conversations and most amazing people that you meet while you're running. Um, and you have the most fabulous conversations, you know, from anything, from politics. And you really, it, it is an absolute leveler. There's, there's no, it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, uh, what, you know, culture you are. It's, it, you're just running. You're all suffering the same. The road is the same distance 
and uh, you just got to get through it as best you can. So, I mean, I've met people from, you know, CEOs to, you know, other, other jobs. Um, and it's, it's really been a, an eye opener, I think, for me, especially because of the world that I work in. You know, I guess you'd call me a pen pusher. So you, you're very, uh, yeah, you're, you're in the corporate world. You're very much in the corporate world. Yeah. So you, you know, one, one does, or there's a possibly a risk, I guess, that you become quite insular within that world. So running has definitely broadened my horizons and I've definitely met people uh, from areas of life that I potentially never would have met. And that's very special. I treasure that. And you met, you have quite a good relationship with Bruce Fordyce, who you met when you did your first park run with your mom. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was very special. I mean, I, you were like, you were like really having a fangirl moment there. So starstruck, so starstruck. I was amazed that he even would speak to me, but he's such a nice guy and he's really been very helpful. Um, you know, he's always been around if I had a question or, and when I did my first marathon, I sort of checked in with him and said, this is what I did. And he came back and said, oh, that's great. And, and helped also with my book. So he's really been amazing. And it's always nice when you bump into him is he, he tries to go to as many of the park runs uh, as he can, most of the inaugural ones. So to, to have run that Lanceria park run with him was, was very special for me. I, I managed to stick with him, although we kind of have a bit of a debate about whether he was like waiting for me or whether I was faster than him, but I'm pretty sure he was faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that we are waiting for the day when we can have your, your live um, launch of the book. Because um, Bruce is going to be interviewing you and doing your actual launch of the book. Yes, uh, COVID unfortunately has put a put a bit of a uh, postpone on that. But um, you know, I think yeah, it'll happen when the time is right. Um, and I know book uh, Bruce has released his own book, so I'm, I obviously wish him everything of the best with his book launch. Oh, really? Uh, I need to do. Yeah, I need to go get get my hands on a copy of of that for sure. Um, and then I'm hoping that he doesn't give me too much of a hard time at my book launch. I'm, I'm sure he won't. I'm sure it's got. I'm sure it's going to be fabulous. Really, really but, looking forward to it. But I did also have a great laugh when you talk about in the book that your husband um, Gerhard expertly managed to avoid joining the park run craze. I have to say, I don't think he did. <laughs> he might not run it. Physically, but I think he's actually there every step of the way because he's he's really, you know, he's there waiting, asking questions, you know, he's fully in it with you. No, look, my husband is. I mean, I just I couldn't have done many many of these challenges of mine. I, w- I wouldn't have wanted to have done it without him. Let me put it that way. He's just been an absolute star. You know, he, he knows when to nudge and when not to nudge. And uh, he's probably one of the few people that I really listen to. I have absolute respect for his opinion. So, yeah, I mean, he, the best part for me on a marathon is when I sort of come up a hill and I see him standing next to the side of the road armed with his banana or, and my sports he drink. And then he normally tells me, why are you so slow? Or if he catches me on a walk, break, it's normally quite embarrassing. Then he'll be like, why are you walking? It's a, it's a, then I usually say to him, it's a planned walk break. And he'll say, no, you need to get a move on, you know, like you so yeah, he's, he's, he's very, um, he knows how to motivate me and how to support me, but he's honestly, he's, he's really been a star. So you're right. He did get, uh, swept up, I guess, in the whirlwind of the whole running thing. Um, I ran the Mauritius marathon in 2019 and uh, he agreed to go with me on condition that we hired him a scooter. And again, he was there next to the side of the road with my banana and 
and my sports drink. And I mean, we've just, we've seen so many places together and it's, it's really been a quite a growing experience, I think, for us as a couple be, because it's been a positive one. So yeah, no, he's, but yeah, he doesn't run. Did try, but we, he doesn't run. And if he does run, he's a lot faster than me as well, which is very demoralizing. So I'm sort of trying to stay away from that. <laughs> That's not fair. No, he shouldn't be allowed uh-huh. to. No, that should not be allowed. So I don't <laughs> think he should be allowed to run. That's just, no, that's unfair. I can now tell him you said you can't run. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> he's banned from running. Banned from running. Not allowed on the road. No. He can just stand there holding the banana and the, and the drink. And that, that's his role. No running for him. <laughs> I'm liking it. No, you like it. I, I'm like, yeah, I'm changing your fan club. So, no running for Gerhard. Um, I, I love at the back of the book, you've got your running statistics. The date of your first run up until where you are now. Because I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, the last run you read, because there's going to be more. So, uh, you know. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm a bit scared of being interviewed by Bruce for my launch because I feel like he might be bullying me into running comrades at some point. Of course, you're going to be running comrades at some point. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt. Probably, but uh, yeah, well, we obviously need to get through this whole you know, COVID pandemic thing, and I think that's you know to just be safe and make sure that everyone around us is safe is, is obviously at at the top of everyone's mind. So I think it's going to be still a road to follow before the races come back. So for now, I'm just keeping, keeping my this legs turning. Just, this is just your training, uh, training period for comrades. That's, that's what this is. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to take a break and then we are going to chat about, um, a few of the 10 lessons you've learned from running, but we're going to take a break first. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper have these wonderful pocket saving deals just for you. Pick and Pay kosher whole roasted barbecue chickens are selling hot at $89.99 per kilo. Pick and Pay kosher apple tart. per tart. Pick and pay kosher cinnamon buns are a delicious $10.99 per pack of four. Did you know that you can also get freshly checked and cut veggies from the Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper Kosher Deli? Now you know. Try it. Take home these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. I'm back with my guest, and I'm chatting to Zoe Skulls about her book, Running in Heels, From ICU to Ultramarathon. And um, Zoe was a healthy 34-year-old and very anti-exercise running. She didn't like running very much, but then she fell seriously ill and since then has been on the road running, enjoying marathoning and park running. And we're going to chat about the back of her book she Tells us about 10 lessons she's learned from running. And so obviously we're not going to mention all 10 lessons because, um, if you're listening, I want you to go and buy this book. So we're not going to mention all 10 lessons. You need to buy the book so that you can learn what all 10 lessons from running are. So we're only going to chat about a few of them. And, um, 
I have to just say that the book is really, and particularly, I'm not going to mention my age, but for someone like me, <laughs> and if you're listening and you can relate, for someone like me who leads quite a, a sedentary life, who doesn't enjoy exercise, and who is um, having quite a wake-up call from reading um, stories like this, journeys like this, experiences that people have had, it is a wake-up call um, because you do come to the realization that you you need to be more mindful, you need to be more aware, and you need to get out there and you need to do what you need to do to keep your, your mind and your body healthy so that you can be around for as long as necessary. And because people need you, there are people out there who need you and you need you, quite honestly. So, right, Zoe, 10 lessons from running. So the first one you mentioned is the hardest part is getting out the door. And, I mean, I, I agree, <laughs> obviously. So I, I probably need 10 out of 10 for being the best procrastinator on the planet. So there's always something better to do. You can make coffee. You can check your emails. You can spend time on social media. Netflix. So, so Netflix. Yeah, you know, have a Netflix marathon. Anything is better than, oh, no, I've got to go slog up that bloody hill again. But, um once you're out the door, it's easy. And I think I read it somewhere. It was on one of these running websites. But they always say, if you don't feel like running, just start, you know, make a start. And if you sort of 500 meters into your run and you still don't want to run, then turn around and go back. And invariably, you will never will. So, yeah, that's the hardest part for me anyway. The best the best way I do it is either you, you sort of commit to meet up with people. Although with COVID, I've been running largely on my own. But um you know, you set yourself a target, or I do anyway, I say, okay, that's how far I'm going to run today, put my shoes where I can see them, because then they make me feel guilty if I don't put them on, and then I just get going. Your shoes make you but, feel guilty. Interesting. Yeah, they sort of look at you like mournfully, like, why are you not wearing me right now? Why are you not on the road? Okay. <laughs> I don't know, I think, I think that illness left you with other problems to discuss if your shoes are talking to you, but okay. <laughs> We won't go there right now, Jenny. Let's not. <laughs> I'm not a trained psychologist or psychiatrist or anything else. I'll be actually on the topic. I just wanted to add to what you said earlier because um 100% agreed with it. But I think just for me, aside from the health benefits of running, it, the amount of, um, let's say, stress relief that it provides to me and the ability for me to just put things into perspective is something that I – I don't know that I can necessarily explain so well. And I don't think one needs to necessarily run for, for that. It's just that one needs a little space in the day that you can carve out that's just for you. Where you're not worrying about, you know, dinner or the kids or the husband or the wife or whoever has demands on your time, right. work, etc. It's just that little space in the day where you can either think about your problems or think about nothing. And that's something that's become very precious to me, especially since I was ill. Because before that, I tried to be all things to all people. But uh, I've started to realize that you can't do that. You need to focus your energies. And, and if you don't as give you, yourself time, you know what you know they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly that. Uh, so, yes, I think that's something that has definitely been... What I've, what I've, what I've taken from it and that just make a start, um, lesson that we, we started to, to talk about now was exactly that. Getting out the door, uh, making that first start, you, you already overcome any hurdle you have in your head. 
once you're in it, you know, it's sort of like thinking you have to clean out the, the laundry cupboard, for example, or you need to yes. tackle some difficult part of work. The more you think about it, probably the more scary it is. But as, once you start, then you will automatically make it easier for yourself. You'll break it up into manageable chunks or you'll put a plan together. But it's just getting over that first <clears throat> hurdle, you know. And, and, I mean, that can right. be very much like to out the door. So, yeah. One of your other um, things that you learned was delete quit. Yeah, I, I am my own worst enemy, Janice. You, you said it before as well. I, I am very hard on myself. And uh, my probably one of my worst traits is, you know, oh, that sounds like a bloody good idea. Let me do that. I'm going to set this great goal. And then I work really hard to achieving the goal. But the closer it gets to me now doing it, so, for example, running my first marathon, then I start to second-guess myself. And I think, oh, I didn't do enough work. And, and all I focus on is everything that could go wrong. Instead of focusing on on what has happened and what I have done uh, to get to that point, so I again I then I start to doubt. You know, can I do it? Uh, and and my fear of failure comes back to haunt me. So that's something that I've, I'm, I'm still working on. That I'm not necessarily good at that yet, but running has definitely forced me to face that. That is something I need to work on. Okay. So what I've learned recently from various workshops that I've attended is when you formulate a plan, you have to ask yourself why you want to do that particular thing and you've got to be very clear on the why. Um, why do you want to run? You know, Is it because you enjoy running? Do you want to do it for health benefits? Do you want to do it because you like being outside? Do you want to do it because you have a goal, an end goal in mind? Do you want to run a marathon? You have to be so clear. You have to clarify that goal and you have to for me- put it out there. Yeah, so I, I guess the issue with when you set a goal like running a marathon or an ultra marathon is that because it takes so long to build up to being able to achieve that, the body can't adjust quick enough. So you have to obviously, in, you know, increase your endurance with time. Otherwise you get injured. And uh, the reason I would have perhaps started out with a goal is not necessarily the reason I see it through. So, so you know, the goalposts do shift a little bit uh, or I do that to myself. So, you know, if you had to ask me now why why did I run an ultra marathon, there's probably a number of reasons for why I did it. Um, one of the bigger ones being, well, I needed to prove to myself that I could. And um, especially uh, if you read how much I doubted whether I'd be able to go so far, uh, 56 kilometers is quite far for me. Quite, you know. quite far for, for most people. Yeah, wow. but I mean – logical mind you know you sort of sit at home and you think okay but like if i had to drive that like normally you drive that's all the way to work and back on the highway and then your your brain my my brain can't can't manage to assimilate that that is the distance i'm now going to traverse on foot so the that was why i adopted the the strategy that i got with such good advice from from the general manager at the Irene club I basically uh, split my run up into six-kilometer chunks, and every six kilometers I took a walk break, and then I only had another six k's to go. And eventually, that finish line does come. You eventually get over it, but uh, to to just get to the start was actually more difficult than that. And you mentioned the Irene Club, and that's one last point that I want to talk about. We're going to take one final break, and um, I'm going to get to that last point after this break. IFM. 101.9 megahertz of life. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz.
are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in to assist us when life has stopped. They are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebra Kodesha, Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change that. Zion Adar is the day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box. Shabbat meals and gifts for Shabbat, 19 February, the Shabbat of Zion Adar. Honor our heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, get to our website, www.chayfm.com. Honor Our Heroes is a Chai FM community initiative. And I'm back with my guest, Zoe Skultz. We're talking about her book, Running in Heels, from ICU to Ultra Marathon. And we've been talking about the lessons that she's learned from running. And before the break, she mentioned some advice that she received from the chairman of the Irene Running Club, which is the club that she joined. And one of the points that she learned from running is that it's not about me. And she talks about the team of people that is behind her and the team of people that helps her get to the starting line of any of her races. Zoe, talk me through that. I actually get goosebumps when you say that, Janice. I, it, it is quite astounding when, when I reflect back on that. I, I guess the obvious ones would be, you know, your immediate family uh, and, and obviously your friends. But the amount of people along the way that just, it's almost like a puzzle piece that comes together. You need sports massage person. You need a coach. You need people that are surrounding you from a running perspective that understand what you're trying to achieve and that help to motivate you to be better. And when you stand on that, that line, it, it's really not you that's standing there alone. You know, you've got to run the race, but to just get you there, uh, you know, to help me get in any way through my <laughs> foggy brain in terms of, oh, no, I can't do this. Uh, you know, the odd kick in the pants every now and then. Uh, people like Bruce Fordyce who, you know, chip, chip in every now and then as well. It's, it's, it's really quite remarkable. And I think that's been something that I've carried into my, my everyday life as well. You know, when one goes to work and in the corporate space in particular, there's often this drive to be, you know, you're going to be the best, you're going to be promoted or whatever the case might be. But you cannot run a big department without a team of people behind you. You can't run your life without a team of people that, that are there to support you because you can, again, I've said it earlier, you can't be all things to all people and we all have our own strengths and, and areas for improvement. And it's those areas for improvement where you need your, your support army. And, and I've been very blessed that my support army has been phenomenal. And uh, probably one of the reasons why I was so emotional, I guess, when I finished Two Oceans, because it, it wasn't just the running training. It was, you know, getting me out of the hospital. It was all the, the very devoted medics that, that supported me in, in getting well. Uh, and, and after that, I've been fortunate enough to, to maintain contact with some of them. So I think it's about appreciating that and being, well, trying to be humble, I guess, and remembering that it's not all, it's not only you. You actually can't do this alone. We're not put on this world, I think, my belief anyway, to, to do it alone. Uh, but it's about choosing the right people and having the right people around you to make you better than, than you would be alone. And, and running shoes that talk nicely to you. 
Yes, um, that's quite helpful. <laughs> I think it's even deeper. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think also your emotion behind um, crossing that finish line at the end of two oceans, I think was, and, and although I say obviously that's, that's, you're going to be running many more races in the future, hopefully when, when things do open up. I think the emotion behind crossing that finish line was a culmination of, of really such an arduous journey that you had been on that, that really just hit you. It, it was really out of the blue. It was a lightning strike out of the blue. It was, it was just something so unexpected and a challenge that hit you from all sides. And, and I keep saying you were so hard on yourself because you really, you thought this was going to be something brief, something quick, and you, you kept wanting to, to just get there, get there. And you didn't realize how long and challenging this journey was going to be. And that was the culmination of, of all this hard work and, and all these people who had been on the journey with you. Yeah, and I guess it wasn't just, you know, Two Oceans, the ultra marathon on its own was, was a race, and it, it made me realize that. But the entire process from the day that I stepped out of hospital up until the point where I finished that ultra marathon was an ultra marathon on its own, you know, right. different parts of training, starting to come to terms with who you are. It's more a growing process. So I guess absolutely, but it's because obviously that was my journey and it was my conduit to, to growing as a person and to appreciating different things. But I guess it's, you don't necessarily have to be a runner to, to appreciate some of the things that I, I think I've, started to realize you know it's it's these principles within what i've gone through that hopefully would be of use to someone out there whether you just <laughs> i'm not saying yeah. everyone has to go run a marathon yeah sure. everyone has their own let's say marathon hurdles uh, and they come in different shapes it's, yeah it's figurative zoe and we're gonna have to leave it there unfortunately thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this morning Janice, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure being on your show. And thank you to the readers, that, uh, or hopefully some readers and, and listeners Definitely. out there for much appreciated. Have a lovely day. Thanks, you too. That is Zoe Skultz, Running in Heels from ICU to Ultramarathon. Go and buy the book, read the book. And I wish you all a great week. Go out there, wear your masks, take care of each other, and read a book. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.